Welcome to church. This week, Pastor Bev and Mandy are continuing our new series, The Characters of Christmas. They'll be speaking about the shepherds who came to the birth of Jesus and how that reminds us that Christ came for all people. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. We're so glad you could join us today. Merry Christmas. Can you imagine when the angel came to Mary saying that the virgin would give birth to the Son of God? Can you picture when the Magi saw a star and likely believers who were compelled to follow the star to meet the Saviour King? Can you remember a group of poor shepherd boys, startled awake by an army of angels, joined in a chorus to announce the birth of the Son of David. Can you believe that his plan all along was to save the world through his Son? Can you see, God is not done yet. The miracle of Christmas continues all around us. Good morning, I'm Pastor Bev Sessink, and we welcome each and every one of you here today, those online and those here with us in person. A special welcome to any uh, first-time guests here with us. This morning, we're going to continue in our series, The Characters of Christmas, and in particular, this message is Shepherds, Unexpected Guests of the Christmas Story. Uh, Before we go further, if you remember last Sunday, Pastor uh, Doug was asking us, what were your favorite Christmas films over the years? And I'd like to ask you, and you can shout this out, what do you believe are the top five Christmas carols of all time? Go ahead. Silent Night? Jingle Bells? Well, that's actually uh, not one of them. (laughs) Holy Night, yes. Joy to the world. Oh, that's not one of them either. Sorry. Okay. Well, then I keep you in suspense. Here are the five top Christmas carols of all time. Silent Night. God rest ye merry gentlemen. O come all ye faithful. O holy night. And what child is this? Now, as we begin today's sermon, I would encourage you like we have done other times. Find one thing in this sermon to apply to your life, and I believe then our time will have been well spent. Uh, Last Sunday, as we began the series, looking at the birth of Christ and those people who were involved in that, uh, last Sunday, Pastor Doug spoke to us about Mary and her involvement, a very key involvement in that. Today, we're going to take a look at the shepherds and their participation in this story. And to begin with, we're going to look at the Bible and what it has to say in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed a decree to be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral homes to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, 
who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. Now let's watch this video based on the gospel account that follows. Bethlehem means house of bread in Hebrew. The town was known for its grain fields running down these slopes. After the harvest, shepherds were welcome to bring their animals into these fields to eat the remaining grain and stubble. In return, the sheep and goats fertilized the fields for the next planting season. In first century Judea, being a shepherd was considered a lowly profession. These were the social outcasts. That's what makes this next account in the Gospels so special. News of Jesus' birth came at night to this field or one very near here. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The birth announcement of Jesus was not made in Jerusalem to King Herod or to the temple high priest. It was made to regular, hardworking shepherds, common men who were having the most amazing evening of their lives were the very first visitors, as was recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them up into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass that the Lord has revealed to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The reason we're going to be speaking about the shepherds this morning is I believe that their presence in the Christmas story is significant for us more than we would realize. Do you not consider it odd that in spite of Jesus being the newborn king of the Jewish nation, there was no official acknowledgement, there was no nationwide celebration of this event, there was no line of dignitaries coming from Jerusalem to celebrate this occasion. Indeed, I believe by human standards this was not usual. But by biblical standards, it was. Because the Bible says that God's thoughts, his thoughts, are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. And likewise, it is significant that the revealing of Jesus' birth was not given to people, of, of not, of people who were considered important, but people who were considered perhaps the least. Yes, I believe it is important that we recognize that Jesus' birth was meant for all people everywhere, not just the elite of society, but the very plain people, the very normal people, just as such as ourselves are. When we look at the shepherds, they were considered 
misfits, people on the outside of society. The average Jewish person would not want to be involved with them because they were known, not all of them, but many of them were considered to be thieves, to be fugitives, uh, to be uneducated, smelly, low-class individuals to be avoided if possible. In fact, isn't it truly ironic that these people, the shepherds, would be raising sheep who would be used in the temple sacrifices, these very sacrifices that were to be pure and to be holy. Now, Bethlehem was only a few kilometers from Jerusalem, so many of these lambs would be specifically used for temple sacrifice. And we believe that's the reason why the shepherds received this visitation of the angels, because the angels wanted to proclaim a very powerful message, a very important message to all people everywhere. And it was believed that at the Tower of Migdal Eder, a tower that we believed that it could have been that that particular tower was where the angels actually proclaimed to the shepherds of the birth of Jesus. Because the Jewish people believed that a Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and would be revealed at a Migdal Eder, whether it was this one or perhaps another one. And so God sent his angels to Bethlehem, quite possibly to this place or another one nearby. Indeed, it seems strangely appropriate that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would first be announced to shepherds who were charged with caring for and preparing sacrificial lambs on the hills close to Bethlehem and to Jerusalem. And also, it's interesting, too, that the shepherds were quite vocal about what they had experienced, and that even that the people of Bethlehem would even trust them. Obviously, something had happened to them so that people would actually hear what they have to say and be willing to follow through. I wonder if it was perhaps the teachings of the scriptures which indicated the child would be born in Bethlehem, and also some of the other scriptures would indicated that indeed that would happen. As they were excited about the arrival of the Jewish Messiah, are we likewise excited about the arrival and the life of Jesus the Messiah? Are we as excited to tell others about him as these shepherds were at that time? I believe that we have the opportunity, especially now during the Christmas season, to share with others this good news about Jesus. If you will notice on your seats, you will have had a card from the Chosen. How many of you have actually had an opportunity to see the Chosen? A few. Well, here's your opportunity to find out a little bit more. The Chosen is a multi-season, multi-episode, totally crowdfunded presentation of the life of Jesus and his apostles. I have seen many presentations over the years, and from my perspective, it is head and shoulders above anything else that I have seen. If you haven't seen it yet, I would encourage you to watch it. It's easily available. Information is right here. And what I've done is I've given this to numerous people, and they've actually been excited to find out about Jesus because many, many people in our community don't know who Jesus is. And you can do something as simple as ask somebody, do you know what Christmas is about? You may find out they don't. You could give them this card to this website, and they would be able to find out for the reason for the season, which is the birth of Jesus for us. Yes, it's been a privilege to share this with many people and for people to come back and tell me, wow, this has really spoken to me because it speaks of the compassion, it speaks of the care, 
It speaks of the humanness of Jesus, and it also speaks of the humor that is included in that. When we think of the shepherds being spoken to by the angels, I think they were quite convinced, but yet at the same time, I think they were quite afraid. By the way, how many of you have ever experienced a visitation of an angel? Well, none of us, maybe yet, anyways. But we know from the scriptures that whenever angels appeared, most times the people fell to the floor in fear. And so oftentimes the angels had to pick them up to share the news that God was sharing with them. And so the, these people, these shepherds, these misfits, these uncouth shepherds came running into the town of Bethlehem because they wanted to worship the King, the Messiah Jesus, who was in a feed trough in a cold world where misfits were ready to welcome him, but the spiritual elites wanted nothing to do with him. And don't forget, Jesus was a shepherd too. Now, not in the conventional sense, because he was a carpenter by trade, but he identified with the shepherds by calling himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And just like other shepherds we talked about today, he was rejected by people, but not by God. The prophet Ezekiel promised that a shepherd would rescue his scattered sheep. A shepherd would search for the lost. He would bring back the strays. He would bring healing and wholeness to the injured and strengthen the weekend, the, the week. And the prophet Isaiah also foretold that the Messiah, that is Jesus, would be despised and rejected by people. He is the kind of savior who shows up at a feed trough and sends angels to humble shepherds because he is a good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Now, if you've studied the life of Jesus, you will know that he gravitated toward people who were on the margins of society. The heroes of his stories were outcasts, the Samaritans, and the widows. God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. And in Philippians 2, chapter, 3, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 9, it gives us the Christmas story from heaven's perspective, as the Apostle Paul gives a beautiful description of the humility of Jesus, which my wife Mandy will now read for us. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Humility is extremely valued by God. It is part of his nature expressed on the cross. What an amazing God we serve. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
It is not just an attribute. Humility is a choice, a way of being, an action. To explain why humility is so important and how it functions in the spiritual world, I would like to share some illustrations. When I was a young girl, my father often told me stories of battles long ago that took place in the area that I grew up in. He would show me some of the soldiers' graves, and sometimes we would find bullet casings. He told me that during the beginning of the Boer War in South Africa in 1899, the Scottish soldiers would march with their bright kits on in full regalia and sometimes play the bagpipes as well. The Boer soldiers, who were skilled in guerrilla warfare, would hide camouflaged behind the bushes and shoot the Scottish soldiers with ease because they were so visible. You see, humility acts as a covering, a protection, so that we can focus on our mission and complete it. When I was in the old city of David in Jerusalem in 2019, I saw an older soldier fully dressed in army fatigues with a rifle on his back. He seemed to be in his element. When I saw him, I immediately recognized he was a man of humility and great authority. Later, I saw him on the news dressed in a suit and recognized that he was a top-ranking officer in the Israeli military. In the old city, his grey soldier's uniform helped him blend into his surroundings and did not emphasize his rank or importance. This protected him from being an immediate target, giving him the opportunity to encourage the many young soldiers who were guarding the old city. When Jesus came into the world, he came in humility as a baby. His humility protected him, and he was able to accomplish the mission that God sent him to do on earth. His humble mission of obedience to death on the cross, giving his life for our sakes. If people could have seen the glory and the wonder and the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would not have crucified our humble shepherd. And today he calls us to be like him, to humbly surrender to God's will. Humility begins with us being real with God about who we are. In the temple, the tax collector asked God to have mercy on him as a sinner. Like the shepherds, tax collectors were known to be dishonest whereas the Pharisee, totally missing his own hypocrisy, said, Thank you, God. I am not like that tax collector. Jesus pointed out that the tax collector would receive mercy because of his humility. The tax collector did not try to impress others. He was authentic. When we are inauthentic and not real and deny our pain or other people's pain and where we have gone wrong, we are actually being selfish because we do not grow and heal. And that in turn 
impacts our relationships with others and our ability to love and care for them. Freedom session and small groups are some of the places in our church where we can share and experience support and healing. The shepherds were able to receive the news from the angels and not question the angels because they were humble. And so they found the miracle of Jesus' birth in the unexpected place of a stable in a manger. They found Emmanuel, God with us, in their present humble circumstances. However, the Pharisees and chief priests did not recognize Jesus because in their pride they wanted a noble king, someone who would not threaten their grasp for power and position, but elevated, and so they sadly missed the king of kings. The shepherds had nothing with which to try to impress others. You see, humility does not engage in manipulation, currying favor, or trying to impress others to hold onto power or to get a position. Humility starts with being real, surrendering to God and seeking his will. Humility is not conceited or prideful or thinking we are better than others, but rather that others are better than us. And in this context, it means that we give time and consideration to the needs of others, not just our own. And that we recognize that we cannot judge the measure of another person's faith in Jesus. So often we think that how we pray and what we believe in makes us better than others. And we can judge someone else's faith as less than ours. When we do this, we treat others as less than, often dismissing them. And people are often damaged as a result. Only God knows the weight and motives of another person's faith. For God sees the heart. Our journeys are all so different. We grieve and celebrate in different ways. Considering others better than ourselves enables us to hold space for the interests of others, to be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually present for someone, supporting them as they feel their feelings. We are present and give of ourselves, even when it is not comfortable for us. When we consider others' interests, we also protect their dignity by listening to their thoughts and opinions and being self-reflective and discerning. We can say, I was wrong. I could have done that better or allow others to say this to us, giving grace to them. This opens us up to growth and change. If we rarely apologize, there is usually a problem with pride. When we act with intense defensiveness, judgment and anger, or we withdraw or deflect, we do not allow room for discussion or growth in each other and cause a lot of pain. 
these reactions usually indicate pride and humility. Humility means that we consider each other. And so if we are at work or in a ministry and it is not growing, we can ask ourselves, am I really the best fit for this? Maybe my gifting, my ability, my talent lies elsewhere. Allowing ourselves to ask these questions often means that we can shift and others can step in if it is a better fit. And then they receive that blessing and we are blessed as well as we move into what we are best able to do, reaching our potential there. For example, at work I was asked if I would be interested in being a team lead. Although I knew I could do so from experience and the title was tempting, I also knew my first love was frontline work with families. And I knew that over time I would lose interest in leading as a team lead. So I declined. Today we have great team leads who are passionate about what they do. And I love what I do as well. I'm often approached for ideas and information by my coworkers. So I'm still able to help them. When we don't want to let go, whose interests are we really serving? When we consider others better than ourselves, we desire to share ministry and leadership without control, without holding on to our positions, but rather building one another up through mentoring, teaching, and releasing, continually giving opportunities and equipping them. My husband, Bev, has been such an example to me in this area. Jesus, though he was God, did not consider equality with God the Father something to hold on to. He did not grasp for acknowledgement or titles. He did not try to impress others. Instead, he focused on serving. Jesus died on the cross for our sake, a criminal's death, literally sacrificing his body. This humble example calls us to become concerned about the welfare of others in our communities, even at the cost of our own selves. During apartheid in South Africa, I saw the evangelical church losing significant opportunities to care for the rights of our black brothers and sisters because we were too afraid of losing our own rights. But mainstream churches, such as the Catholics and Anglicans, took the lead in speaking up for them against the injustice of racism. Today, no matter our opinions on COVID, how can we best care for the other, our communities, our isolated, our mentally ill, our sick, our tired nurses and doctors, our poor and our marginalized? How can we care for each other's needs? This action of getting involved and of caring, no matter what our opinions are, shows the love and humility of Christ to a hurting world. Let us not miss the opportunities of our time. Maybe we clean someone's home. Maybe we give to our food bank, volunteer to spend time with an isolated individual, help refugees settle in Canada, and so the list goes on. In this small support group I'm a part of, we have different opinions on COVID. 
However, we discussed how we wanted to interact about it in the group, deciding to pray about rather than debate our various positions. We have cared for each other when sick by dropping off food and practical items. We have prayed for one another and supported each other through difficult times, meeting in Zoom, in homes and in the church, whatever each stage of the restrictions allowed. Members of the group have expressed that they feel safe to share and feel supported, and that is because, by God's grace, we are approaching each other in humility. Humility is an act of fully surrendering, a giving over of ourselves to our Heavenly Father and His will, as Jesus did. Before he died, the powerful, faith-filled words of Jesus expressed to his Father in the garden were, Not my will, but yours be done. A lovely African story describes the protection of humility in this way. When the rains and the floods come together, the reeds bow and sway in the water's path, allowing it to wash over them surviving the storm and the rush of water. The proud trees do not bow or bend and are often broken and uprooted and swept away by the water's blast. However, after the storm, the humble reeds continue to grow. And so God tends to honor the shepherds over the kings. He sides with the tax collectors over the Pharisees, Samaritans over the teachers of the law, and poor widows and beggars over the rich. And that's the good news, because we find ourselves among the weak and despised of the world. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at our hearts. So if you feel like you're a loser, a loser in the eyes of this world, if no one's ever accused of you of being a somebody, you've never been able to be popular with the crowd. God doesn't see things as the world does. He's not looking for a sophisticated exterior. He's looking for a sincere and humble heart. I'm afraid we as followers of Jesus Christ haven't always done a good job of imitating him in this regard. Too often our tendency has been to show preference for the gifted, the competent, and the powerful. All too often prejudice and favoritism characterize the church like the rest of the world, and this should not be so. It says in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, we must not show favoritism. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Unfortunately, we as humans are less inclined toward people on the margins of society, immigrants, refugees, people on AISH, social services, EI, temporary foreign workers, day workers, the homeless, the addicted, single moms, people on the lower rungs of society, and so on. But our God is not like that. In fact, every time he turned around, Jesus seemed to be avoiding the crowds and resisting the temptation to appeal to the masses. He didn't seek the favor of the rich and influential, but rather he spent his time and concentrated his efforts on the outcasts and the sinners who were drawn to him. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as much as you've done to others, you have done to me. Jesus the shepherd is the friend of sinners and outcasts, so there's hope for the least of us, myself and ourselves included. And because he has chosen the weak, we who have been rescued from our own weakness and rejection, we must follow in his steps and do the same. Sin has made all of us as misfits in this world. The announcements came to the misfits. The Messiah was bringing love and hope to a world of misfits, which includes each and every one of us, you and me. And yet we are created for a relationship with God. But sin, our bad hearts, and broken ways have separated us from God. The announcement that Christ had was an invitation to come home. He is the one who gives us a place to call home because there's always a place for us. The pain, the sorrow, the grief of this life reminds us that there are still misfits around us, us included. These are those who are searching for a place to belong. Our task, like that of the first shepherds, is to let others know of this good news. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, When the shepherds saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And so those of us who have experienced the good news, who have experienced the good shepherd transforming our lives, we are called and given the privilege to likewise share what we have heard. Let's tell it to those people we consider the least, the lost, the forgotten, the outcasts, the misfits. There are so many who long to come home, but they need an invitation. By the way, before we conclude, I have a question for you. What was the gift that the shepherds gave to Jesus to celebrate his birth. Any idea? Because the Bible does tell us what that gift was. You may think sheep, possibly, but if they didn't own the sheep, the shepherds couldn't have given, it, given that gift. Perhaps more importantly than anything else, the gift that they gave was their presence. I don't mean tangible presence. I mean the presence of attending the recognition of a very special person on a very special occasion. You see the presence of the shepherds following the birth announcement of Jesus. Their participation in that event was an acknowledgement, honoring him, even though they were overwhelmed at that time. And likewise, our presence in the lives of others, especially in times when they or us are overwhelmed, is a very key and important part of being a follower of Jesus, even then, too, in the very mundane events of life. A number of years ago, I purposed to be involved in our community by connecting with the, our local Safeway, and make, I got to know the staff, and there was one person in particular, uh, Judy, the head cashier, and over the years, we developed a friendship, and then Judy retired, and then our contact lessened because we didn't see each other regularly. A number of times, I said to myself, I need to give Judy a call and see how she is doing. One day I did get a call. It wasn't from Judy. It was from the Safeway telling me that Judy had passed away. I didn't even know she was sick. And then I discovered that I could no longer call Judy because she was no longer with us. I was shocked. I was disappointed in myself because I realized the gift of my presence, whether it was a phone call or in person, I could no, no longer give to Judy 
because I missed the opportunity. And so I would want to say to each and every one of us, are there people in our lives whom we need to give them the gift of our presence? That phone call, that personal visit, that, that uh, call on Zoom, whatever it might be, to take that opportunity to contact the people who we've been thinking, I need to do so, but haven't made the effort to actually do that. And perhaps that might be your mom or your dad, your son or daughter or a friend you care about, but not enough yet to make that connection. Or perhaps it might be the person whom you have hurt that you need to make a matter right. Or maybe it's a person who has hurt you and you need to start a conversation. I remember not long ago being deeply hurt by a friend. And for a period of time, it hurt so much, I couldn't think of even talking with them. And then one day I said, you know, I have to take that step because my friend is not taking that step toward me. And so we met. It was a difficult discussion. But in the end, we were able to be at peace with each other. And I'm glad that I made that decision because often it's easy when we are hurt to pull back. And also sometimes it's easy to pull back when we know we've done wrong, but don't choose to make that right. But that would be the cowardly way of doing that. We need, as followers of Jesus, to emulate him. We're going to watch a video shortly, and part of it is in German. And it's about an older gentleman who wants his children desperately to come home for Christmas. And so he goes to desperate ends. Let's watch this. I never told Hallo Papa, ich bin Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Opa. There goes a day, there goes a week So many goals I had to reach The more I did, the less I cared The more I missed the love you've shared If life is a song, somehow it's sad I don't know the words without your dad You've been on my mind all the time And I miss saying you Home used to be just some walls that I know But the truth is that home means nothing without you Wie hätte ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen sollen? So I do hope and pray that there are, if there are people in your life that you need to reconnect with, people you haven't talked with for a long time, people you need to make peace with, do it while you can, because unfortunately, I don't have any opportunity to ever talk to my friend Judy, this side of eternity. As we conclude our time together, if you recognize that God has revealed himself through Jesus to you, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me if you wish. God, 
you have spoken to me today. And I know, too, that I'm not really unlike the shepherds of the Christmas story. Yet you have revealed yourself to me, and for that I want to thank you. I ask that, like the shepherds of the Christmas story, that I recognize, own, recognize my own state of need, and in doing so, that I will not be afraid to share with others, too, of this wonderful story of Jesus. And perhaps today you've recognized that God hasn't yet revealed himself to you, but he wants to do so through his son, Jesus. If you wish for him to reveal himself to you today, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me now. God, you have spoken to me today, and I know too that I'm not really unlike the shepherds of the Christmas story. But I need you to reveal yourself to me, just as you did to them so long ago, that I might know the joy they had of meeting you personally. Amen. If you've prayed either of those prayers, I would encourage you to text LIFE at 587-323-1199. And we would love to respond to you and encourage you on your spiritual journey. If you have any questions, comments about the sermon today, you're welcome to talk with us afterwards. Now we would ask you to join with us in, as we celebrate the Word of God through worship music. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.